Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction, Final Advent Edition. Be glad because I was considering doing a little bit of singing at the beginning and I took a breath and then I thought better of it. Are you glad, Chris? Uh, especially. Not, <laughs> not least for the legal ramifications. The legal. What if I change the words just slightly? And the tune. And the tune. <laughs> well, realistically, the tune wouldn't have been... Um, very uh, accurate. Very yeah. accurate anyway. It's Christmas Eve. We've made it. Oh, thank God. Number four advent. I mean, literally, thank God. <laughs> Happy Christmas Eve, everybody. Or if you're listening on Christmas Day, why are you listening to a podcast on Christmas Day? But also, happy Christmas. Actually, I would happily listen to a podcast on You'd Christmas Day. You'd just be Day. in the bar for a glass of wine. I would podcast love that. on. I would love it. We've made it. We've made it. We've got a fourth Advent story for you this week. They said it couldn't happen. Did they? Well. Those swine. Oh, what doubters. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it would happen at one stage because it suddenly seemed that the diary was full of social engagements and there was no time for recording a podcast. But here we are. Thanks for listening to all of them. Chris doesn't have a drink today because he's feeling a bit peaky. Mm. We had too much Christmas fun, didn't we, at the weekend? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think possibly, as you can tell by my voice, I'm either coming down with something or... You've had too much Christmas I've, fun. I've got to the age where my hangovers last two <laughs> days, yeah. Friday fun, Saturday fun. Then there was supposed to be Sunday fun and we had to draw the line. We couldn't cut it, could we? It's too much. Three days in a row. It's madness. So anyway, but I have got a drink because I bounce back quicker. (laughs) I've got the classic mulled wine, but I'm afraid it's a cheats wine. It's just where you buy a bottle and it says mulled wine on. You don't even mull it with anything, but it's it's all right. Yeah. You know, fine. (laughs) Just fine. Mm. It's quite um, sharp. Acidic. Quite acidic and sharp. That's because it's probably the cheapest wine they had, isn't it? I should tell you what I should have done. Popped a bit of brandy in. Yeah, but then you're getting into mole territory. That would mellow it out a bit nicely, wouldn't it? You reckon? Yeah, I'll pop some in later. Are you ready for our fourth and final story? Yeah, sure, why not? This is the story of the ghosts of Moco. Moco? The ghosts of Moco. I thought, as is the Christmas way, Hmm. we should have a sort of ghostly one at the end great yeah 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 i'll stick windy sound effects on it (laughs) okay perfect we need some windy sound effects yes please it caught my eye because i've thought the name moco for a location in east anglia is quite unusual Mm. it refers to an area of steeple morden in south cambridgeshire um, which is about 15 miles south of cambridge city moco was a farmstead with a few associated dwellings making up a small hamlet. Oh, yes. Through the 18th and 19th centuries, and even up a little way into the 20th century, the farm was worked and around 30 people would live in the dwellings. Do we know the derivation of the name? There was some... So, this... I didn't include this because I don't I don't think it sounds likely. Right. But there was a thing I read on the Steeple Morden History website, which, by the way, is an excellent website. <laughs> They've got links to lots of old newspaper reports, which I used quite a lot for this episode, that suggested there's some suggestion, apparently, that it was comes from the word mocha mm. because it's 
Um, like coffee. Yeah, because something like the coffee was like a distant and exotic thing. Yeah. Grown in faraway lands, and the farmstead is is really kind of isolated out along a road away from the village of Steeple Morden, and it's in the middle of these fields, and it's like an isolated location. But that to me doesn't make sense. No, because isn't Mocker's like a bloody Starbucks invention anyway, isn't it? Well, right. That's the only. That's what I read, and then I thought to me that sounds. Yeah. And that would also mean I have to call it Moco. Yeah, I'm sorry I asked. And I like to call it Moco. Going loco down in Moco. <laughs> down in ghostly Moco. So we will begin our story in 1913. Okay. A man named Charles Rule moved with his family to one of the Moco cottages. Charles was a shepherd and was known to everybody as Shepherd Rule. <laughs> he lived there with his wife and their three children. The children were Fred, the oldest, and before too long, Fred would go off to the Great War. Of course. Emma, who was around 13, and youngest daughter, Nellie. By the time they moved to the hamlet of Moco, some of the cottages were already empty and the farmhouse also was empty. So right. Shepherd Rule moved there to do his shepherding. Yeah. But by this point, 1913, it was already starting to, you know, it, it was falling into People disrepair. People were leaving. People were leaving. It, it was not the kind of bustling little hamlet it once had been. Was he shepherding off his own back or was he employed by a, a landowner? I believe or... shepherding off his own back. Right. Oh, that's a thankless, Hard work, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? And in fact, they'd relocated to Moco after some shepherding-based trouble elsewhere. Cheap-related mishaps. Yeah. And they lived in one half of a double tenement cottage, so basically like a semi-detached yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a cottage, and the other half was empty. So we already get the impression of it's a bit of a lonely, yeah, yeah. A lonely place at the moment. Some distance from the road, rather an isolated place, the fields around were bleak. It was not long after the family moved to the cottage that they started noticing strange things. They heard footsteps around the cottage even mm. when everyone in the family was accounted for. The footsteps would frequently be heard roaming through the small dwelling but always seemed to stop at the same point. Okay. After a while of these strange sounds, Shepherd Rule decided to get to the bottom of it. He found a helpful friend... He located as best he could the point where the footsteps always seemed to stop mm -hmm. and they examined the building in that area. They found some inconsistency in the brickwork of the wall oh, no. and prized away a little bit of the, the wall and found behind it a small empty room. Oh, a whole room? A small empty room or recess. Mm. But there was nothing in there. I mean, I was expecting, you know, it was going to be uh, body parts in the wall. Or, nothing uh, in there. There was no clue curses. as to what could be causing the footsteps. The footsteps did lead them to the empty room. Yes. But the two men saw, well, what can we find from, from this room? And they gave up their quest, thinking that there was nothing to be learned. That, I'd be excited I found a new room. Well, I think room is... Oh, a, you're a, overplaying it. I think it's, you know, a small... A cupboard. Like a cupboard, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, you might store some clothes in there, like a walk-in wardrobe. But I don't think it's a, a, no, a huge vast... They weren't doing vast, that in 1913, were they? Especially not shepherds. No. Unless you've got a lot of wool to store. Yeah, probably. You could put all that in there, couldn't you? You probably have an outhouse for the wool. Probably smells, doesn't it? Oh, it does smell. Does it? I think. Yeah, greasy wool. Mm, greasy sheep. The night after the discovery of the strange, empty room, Shepherd Rule was awoken by a terrible pressure on his throat, as if someone was pressing down on his neck to stop him breathing. But no one was there in the room other than his sleeping wife next to him. Classic circubus time. Luckily, the pressure abated after a time and he was left shaken but unharmed. Unfortunate. When he next saw the friend who'd helped him to find the strange, empty room... 
He learned that his friend had had exactly the same experience, a mysterious force in the night pressing down Mm -hmm. on his throat. And his friend lived in a different house, presumably. Mm, But they had disturbed the room. They've had a curse now. After the war, the rules moved away from Moko and went instead to live at Bassingbourne. They were likely the last inhabitants of those cottages, which fell soon after into disrepair and ruin. What Rule and his family didn't know is that these were not the first ghostly appearances or ghostly sightings and sounds at the cottage. They've been done by their estate agent. (laughs) Finally, we can shift this to a gullible shepherd. Shepherd Rule. Yeah. Bring him into the dilapidated farmstead of old Moko. Unfortunately, all I can think of is every time you say shepherd rule is jar rule. <laughs> I don't think they were alike. No, not, not related. <laughs> Imagine if you heard jar rule making ghostly noises in the night. <laughs> I think he wouldn't even be the best at making ghostly noises. Who do you think would be the best mm, 90s rapper for making ODB. ghostly noises? <laughs> ODB would definitely, he'd be like a grumbling old man, wouldn't he? It would be terrifying to hear the noises of ODB yeah. in the night, I think. Ludicrous. Not quite as alarming, I'd say. <laughs> Mystical had quite an alarming oh, voice. I think I was thinking of mystical when I said ludicrous. Could be good well. Yeah, that's ludicrous, is it? That's mystical. Oh, bugger. Right, yeah. yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> so, top list of 90s rapper ghosts. Yeah. ODB. Yeah. Mystical. Yeah. Maybe Jar Rule And ODB three. could even be a real ghost now. He, he could be a ghost. Yeah. It's true. Poor old ODB. I always remember when ODB went on the run. Yeah. Because <laughs> he went on the run, didn't yeah. he? And then he, I think one of the other, Wu-Tang was doing um, a gig concert. Can't right. remember which one. Maybe it was Method Man. Not sure. And um, ODB made a surprise appearance on the stage. <laughs> and then... Being chased by the cops. The cops didn't find him. And then he just sort of leapt up onto the stage. And then he said, he was on the run. And he said, I'm going to eat seeds like a bird. And then he just <laughs> raced away. Was that his ad lib? <laughs> it was his plan for surviving on the run. Wow. Eating seeds like a bird. <sighs> Damn. Probably, probably best he's not here anymore, isn't it? Oh, ODB. Anyway, it was not a No descendant 90s of Jar Rule was involved in this story. Back to the story. Sorry. No? Quite all right. I was just actually starting to wonder if Jar Rule even was from the 90s. He might be 2000s. He might be 2000s, might he? Yeah. I might have made a slip up. What Rule and his family didn't know, these were not the first ghostly appearances. A little more than a decade earlier, in December of the year 1900, other mysterious and inexplicable sounds were heard. In that year, one side of the cottage was occupied by a gamekeeper and his wife, and the other side by another shepherd. It was quite a shepherding area. Yeah, seems it. The gamekeeper's name was Steggles. (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was Steggles, and the shepherd's name was Levitt. Steggles and his wife had lived in the cottage for about a year at that point. At first, everything had seemed normal. But as autumn of 1900 rolled in, Steggles' wife, who we can only assume to be Mrs. Mrs. Steggles, Steggles, heard and saw some strange things and began to insist to her husband that the house was haunted. He was fully sceptical. Yeah. Thought it was nonsense. It's the 20th century. It's a man of reason. It's just turning tea that way, isn't it? But once December came about, Steggles himself started to experience some odd occurrences and was forced to confront the idea that perhaps his wife was correct and the cottage was indeed occupied by restless spirits. And is it finally the case that you've chosen a time-appropriate story for this final Advent telling? Imagine my delight. Imagine my delight to discover that some of these hauntings took place in December. I was absolutely very happy. (laughs) Absolutely very happy. Absolutely very happy. Just one small part of the story takes place in December. (laughs) that'll do. But here it is. The thing is, 
When you find a good story, you don't mm. want to be bound by the calendar year, do you? Oh, no. No, sure. Whenever it may happen, July, August, any month, I will take it. And a lot of these Christmas ghost stories, they're not set at Christmas, are they? It's the telling of the story that exactly. is the kind of Christmassy thing. M.R. James wasn't insisting every tale had to be set in no, December not or at Christmas all. Eve. No. How tiresome it would have become. You don't go digging on the beach on Christmas Eve, do You'd you? would be freezing. Yeah. And there's not enough daylight hours for it. No. <laughs> We find a report in the Cambridge Daily News of the 3rd of January 1901. The headline reads, A haunted house at Steeple Morden. The report tells that a fortnight earlier, the gameskeeper Steggles heard strange noises, crying and wailing, as from a person in agony, coming from the party wall of the cottages. But on inquiring with Levitt next door, nothing was amiss. Levitt had not heard the sounds, and there was no one in his house other than him who could have been making these crying and wailing sounds. The two men could not between them explain it. A few nights later, Steggles was in bed and heard again a groaning and crying, as well as the unexpected and surely unsettling noise of a lady's dress rustling in the darkness, as How if a woman was, was a moving. lady's dress? A lady's dress. Yeah, it could be well, anything rustling. He oh, a dress, it was a, a dress rustling in a particular he knows way? the sound of a rustling dress. He's a married man. He's okay. a man of experience. Rustling dress in the darkness, as if a woman was moving around the room. He then heard what sounded like a gun being fired and a thud. <laughs> mm, can see where this is going. What, you think he's killed his wife? No. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody sometime in the past has probably killed his wife, and that's who's traipsing around the hallways at Steggles night. Steggles' wife was a ghost all along. No. No, no, that's not it. That's pretty um, this. To be honest, Steggles' wife doesn't get much of a looking in the no. tale, apart from us hearing that he was sceptical of her early on. Other versions of the story tell not just of sounds but apparitions. A young girl in white cap and old-fashioned gown, weeping and wailing in great distress. Enid Porter tells this version of the okay. story. Some of the villagers of Steeple Morden were greatly alarmed and scared by the stories of the ghosts on the farmstead and stopped venturing out after dark. Is this what did for the uh, Hamlet in the first place? <laughs> Haunted Hamlet. What, no one wanted to, yeah, to go there? Left. Everyone left. So these were two incidents of haunting around 13 years apart just about in the 20th century. Mm. But had anything tragic or violent happened at MoCo in the past that could account for these hauntings? Sounds possible, doesn't it? As it turned out, there were actually two incidents in the history of the hamlet. Once the gameskeeper's story became known, the locals recalled these two incidents and wondered if these might explain the problems that were now besetting MoCo. And newspaper reports can be found about both incidents. Right. So we know that they definitely happened. It's not just kind of village gossip. But Steggles was not aware of the incidents and nor was Shepherd Rule and his family. I mean, you wouldn't have had easy access to a newspaper archive in the rural Cambridgeshire in the early 1900s, would you? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Not out on a... Uh, Probably microfiche hadn't even been invented. Not out on an isolated farmstead. The first of these incidents was the death of farmer John Charter in 1884. He was just shy of 60 right. when he oh, died. Well, that's, you know, reasonable. John Charter had a history of depression and three years earlier in 1881, he'd been tried at the quarterly law sessions after attempting suicide. Oh, God. So not only have you failed to kill yourself, mm. then you're also basically criminalised as a yes, consequence. <laughs> exactly. A bad state of affairs. He was sentenced to three months' imprisonment, but because of his mental health, this was to be served not in jail and not with hard labour, but at Fullborn Lunatic Asylum. Oh, God. I think one day we might 
do an episode about Fullbourne. Okay, what, before it's completely demolished? It's still there now, but yes, it's. I think before too long it will be turned into luxury, luxury flats. flats. I mean, it's still... And then we can all have screaming women and sounds of gunshots <laughs> in our walls. It's one of the old... You know, the the style of very long corridors and yeah. rooms off and a kind Victorian, of... Victorian, I suppose, basically, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and where a lot of those have already been taken over, Fullbourne actually is still in use as a mental health facility, but I don't think it will be for much longer things. Change is afoot. Mm. And it's a, I'm sure there is an interesting history there to be found. It's not called Fullbourne Lunatic Asylum anymore, I should <laughs> hasten to add. You Fullborn can't call Hospital. them lunatics. It's 2023. 2023. No one's a lunatic now. After the three months of imprisonment, John Charter returned home to MoCo. This gives us the background for Charter's death. A report from the Cambridge Independent News of 23rd of February 1884 gives us the rest of the story. It was William Charter, John's son, who tragically found his father at the second suicide attempt. William told the inquest that he had returned home to the cottage between 1 and 2pm. He went out to the barn to feed the pigs some beans. Yes, That detail was made very clear. And it was there that he found his father, John, hanging by a rope Mm. fastened to a ladder that had been laid across a ceiling beam. William quickly pulled out his knife and cut his father down. But although John was not quite dead yet, the damage had been done and he died soon after. Starved the brain of oxygen for too long. Yes. Festive, isn't it? (laughs) So that is the story of John Charter. Right. Who had an early... In the barn, though. Not in the house. But on the site. Okay. On the site. The second event in the history of Moco Farm is even more tragic and horrific. This was the murder of Elizabeth Pateman in 1734. This also took place in February, and this was on Shrove Tuesday night, (laughs) Pancake Day. I was going to say, it hasn't been nicknamed the Pancake Murder or anything. (laughs) Oh no, no pancakes were involved. I'm just thinking, no, it's a kind of... I'm not uh, sure when Pancake Day came in instead of Shrove Tuesday is the popular term. They're probably right, probably much later. If it was a late-night film on the Horror Channel... It would be called Pancake Murder. The Pancake Massacre. Yeah. It's always a massacre, isn't it? Quite often. However many have died, always a massacre. Shrove Tuesday Horror. That's what the headlines should have said. Elizabeth was a local steeple morden lass and was working as a servant for James Hoy, who was the master of the farm at the time. Elizabeth was just 19 when the violent events unfolded. Hoy, the farmer, was awakened at around 5am by a terrible groaning sound coming from Elizabeth's room. He called out to see what was the matter, but when he got no reply, he took a light and went to investigate. There in Elizabeth's room, he saw an awful sight. She was lying on the floor, covered in blood. Hoy could see extensive injuries. From a newspaper article of the time that reports, Her cheekbone broke, a large piece of flesh cut out of her neck in the jugular vein, and miserably bruised in other parts of her body. Hoy realised that somehow Elizabeth was alive and called for help. With a great big chunk out of the jugular vein. She survived only three hours longer. Mm, not surprised. And from the sounds of it, she never regained consciousness and she was unable to give any account or any clue of what had happened. Or so who this is a mystery this. to this day? It's a mystery. The investigation found a bloodied plough iron near the scene. A plough iron is the spike. Mm. You know all about yeah. it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I know what a plough looks like. I can use my imagination. It's also called a coulter. Like Mrs. Coulter from the yes. um, books. Or Anne Coulter, the objectionable Republican woman. <laughs> windbag. <laughs> Call her a windbag. And then 
so Mrs. Coulter from His Dark Materials, do you think that name was chosen because I she wonder is if maybe it was. like a slicing... Because there's quite a lot of fun with language, isn't there, in those mm. books? Or just some other bits of fun with language. Oh, I was thinking of Egyptian, which is what the boat people are called, isn't it? Mm. Which is like a cross between gypsy and Egyptian. Yes. You know, they meant to be well, of a... Well, they're, they're, it's ex- exotic, I suppose. Yes, I see, I see. Yes. Are they but any? itinerant. I see. Yes. And Anne Coulter is like a sharp, horrible plough, <laughs> isn't she? I don't really know, to be honest. Oh, maybe I've got her name wrong. Anyway, so they found this Coulter near the scene and they did track down who it belonged to, but that person was cleared of the murder. Felt Had they it- conveniently reported theft of a Coulter <laughs> earlier in the day? <laughs> My car was stolen. It can't have been me that did the hit and run. They assumed that this was the, the murder weapon, yeah. given that it was covered in, in blood. blood. And the wounds of the neck were consistent such that it could having be, been ploughed. Yeah. But in other ways, the investigation ground to a halt. The murder of Elizabeth Pateman was never solved. Mm. And any sign of breaking or entering in the vicinity of the house? Not that I read. But I don't know how really good was the investigation going to have been in 1734. Yeah. You probably didn't even have a lock on your door, did you? On Shrove Tuesday. I know. You're just They're, fat with pancakes. Exactly. The police are fat with pancakes. Probably you didn't even lock your door. No. On this isolate, you know, you're out in, in the middle of nowhere. You probably think, well, there's no one out here. We know everybody. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Well, you just answered that question. Mm. Enid Porter tells, though, that although no one was ever brought to justice for the crime, there was talk among the people of Steeple Morden. Oh, yeah. The talk was that she had been killed by the farmer at Moco because she had knowledge of another crime he committed, the murder of a Pac-Man, not a small yellow-faced <laughs> chomping machine. The Pac-Man... I was going to say, appropriate in a story about ghosts. <laughs> Why does Pac-Man hunt those ghosts? Or do Japanese. the ghosts hunt Pac-Man? Well, but it depends. Normally, the ghosts hunt Pac-Man, but if Pac-Man happens to have eaten a power pill, then he can hunt the ghosts. I see, I see. And that's when you would turn upon the ghosts. Exactly. And try and eat them all. Yep. And then, do you get their powers? No, they basically then just don't trouble you for a little bit while they go back to the centre and reform. Are they ever a poltergeist? Do they throw things? Uh, No, no. They just uh, go around amazed, don't they? And they they go, ooh. I don't think they make any sound. Ooh. Probably the game goes, blip, 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 and that's about it, I'd say. But if you eat one, it goes, bop. I'm not sure. No, okay. The Pac-Man was a frequent visitor to the village, selling his wares. A man with a pack. Yes, bringing wares around the place. You think that isn't the origin of Pac-Man, is it? As in the computer game Pac-Man? Because it's spelled P-A-C, isn't it? Mm, I don't. Yes, who knows? I wouldn't have thought it's no, related it's in Japanese any way. It's Japanese anyway, I think, isn't because it? Because Pac-Man doesn't have a pack. No, I know. I know. I mean, he's just a face, isn't he? He doesn't even have a back. <laughs> Where's he putting the pack? He hasn't even got legs or a gullet. body. The Pac-Man was a frequent visitor to the village, but on one occasion was seen entering the farmhouse at Moco and was then never seen again. Oh. The well on the farm was not used after that day that the Pac-Man was last seen. <laughs> Tainted water. And it was soon filled in, the locals noticed. And so the rumours spread that the Pac-Man had been killed and his body thrown into the well. Good way of getting rid of the body in 1734. And then, so the rumours went on, Elizabeth Pateman had somehow seen something or found out about this murder and she had been killed to keep her quiet. How much time in between? I don't know. But there was no, you know, there was no evidence for this. It was No, it's just idle speculation from busybodies in the village, right? But perhaps this indicates a third victim had died at the Moco farmstead. The Pac-Man. The Pac-Man. Yeah. So there seemed to be at least two candidates for the hauntings that occurred those many years later. Yeah. Why the ghosts were quiet for so long, we shan't know. 
and only came out as the century turned. Well, maybe it was, you know, like one of those hauntings that only happens every certain number of years. Perhaps it was, you know, every 74 years. Well, it'd have to be every 174 years. (laughs) And then the next 13. Yeah, but then they weren't banking on, like, the Hamlet being demolished. So by the time they came back for the next round... You thought they thought we'd better come back quicker. (laughs) So, was the bricked-up empty room the place in which Elizabeth's murder occurred? Was it Elizabeth's rustling skirts that Steggles heard in the bedroom at night? Could have been the Pac-Man's pack. Perhaps was the forceful, mysterious pressure that pushed down on the throat of Shepherd Rule an echo of the rope around the neck of John Charter, who suffocated himself by hanging in the barn? Or was it an echo of the violent slashing to the neck of Elizabeth Pateman caused by the plough iron many years before? We shall never know for sure. No, I mean, I would think in terms of the suicide, like the whole idea with, you know, a restless spirit, if your intention is to commit suicide, you, you haven't really got a reason to come back and haunt, have you? No, I don't suppose so. So Unless, I'm leaning towards the uh, But I the think sometimes example. haunting can be like a sadness. Well, I suppose Isn't there so, the yeah, idea that's true. that it can be a place of great sadness? And if there was a man suffering from many years of depression, perhaps he would leave a sad A resonance. Mark. A sad resonance on the farmstead. Maybe. We don't know, do we? We don't know how it works. Perhaps. Perhaps all these things. The name Moco Farm is now used for another farm in the area, but at a different site. Right. And the original farmhouse and workers' cottages were left to quietly fall into ruin and their secrets with them. And do the ruins still exist? I don't think there would be much left. No, just a stone in a field. Yeah, just a bit of rubble. And that's the Ghosts of Moco. That's quite good. I like that. Yeah. I like the hidden room best. I always liked the idea of having a hidden room in your house that you didn't know anything about. Well, you had that strange alcove in your bedroom when you were a child, didn't you? That was a cupboard. No, but it was a sort of strange... It was into the wall, like a recess. Because it was above the stairs. Yeah, but it created a strange area. Well, I liked it because I liked the cupboard. I know, but if you... What I'm thinking is... What your parents could have done was to oh, just bricked it up. brick that up, yeah, and then lose you could some have, valuable storage space. You could have, when you're a bit older, had a moment of excitement where they were like, "Oh, Chris, there's some weird footsteps <laughs> coming from this area of the house," and you could have noticed that the brickwork was irregular. Oh, yeah, I see and then saying. found right. yourself yeah. like a secret little room. Yeah, I would have loved that. I would have loved yeah. my thing. They didn't do it though. No, and it was a new house, so nobody was bricking anything up. Could have been built on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> I suppose so. In um, the Midlands, <laughs> in rural Staffordshire, you never know. That's the end of our Advent stories. Oh well, what a fun old period. Yeah, it was hard work, wasn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you've enjoyed let's, it. Let's it... never keep ourselves to a schedule ever again. <laughs> it was good fun. I've enjoyed each and every story. Exploding bath chair, black shark. Mr. Leech and the Devil, and now the Ghosts of Moco. Good to finally get Blackshock out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, good to get him Hanging over you. (laughs) A grueling, grizzling hound looking at me in the night. Soon it will be time for 2024, Mm. and we have some plans for new and interesting episodes, don't we? I'd hope so. Yes, we have many plans. So the best thing to do is to be sure to follow us on, I suppose you might follow on Instagram, Mm. Ruth underscore is underscore stranger, but you might also follow us on your podcast provider of choice. That would be the best option. And then every time... Because we're not very reliable when it comes to Instagram either. (laughs) It can come in fits and starts. (laughs) But then the new episode will just pop up for you. 
And yeah. you're just, you know, brilliant. Brilliant news. So I say happy Christmas to you all. Happy Christmas, Chris. Happy Christmas. And do you say it to the listeners? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And we will be back in the new year for more tales of weirdness from East Anglia. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>